0: Hi, I am Chitra, I am Madvi. I am Jyoti I am Suchitra. Together we are your hosts on the Edge podcast. We bring you stories and experiences from our experiments around learning, marketing and design. These are stories of people, technology and people interacting through technology of what we see, create and recommend. My conversation with Shreya Chaudhary, Senior Director of Talent Development at Sprinklr, explored various aspects of learning for the enterprise from examining the dramatic changes in the environment that have influenced the way in which learning is designed and delivered to understanding timing, context and need to influence leaders and decisions around organizational learning. Shreya shares her rich body of experience in this space from how she stumbled into it what it's given her and where it's perhaps headed please listen on hi Shreya a very warm welcome to you to the edge podcast I'm really excited to have you with us today looking forward to our conversation
1: hey Chitra I'm honored actually to be on your podcast and very delighted to meet a real friend after such a long time so looking forward to the conversation myself
0: (laughs) great great as you know the edge podcast is all about learning marketing and design. These are the three areas that uh, we at Adeptic Creative Labs and Clearly Blue Digital do on a day-to-day basis. And today's conversation is going to feature, uh, we're going to try to see how best we can explore and have a conversation around learning and Mm -hmm. particularly learning in the workplace. And before we get to that part of the conversation, I would love for our listeners to listen to your origin story. What do you do right now? What does your job entail? And how did you come
1: to be doing this job? So I'm Senior Director for Talent Development at Sprinkler, And uh, how did I come to my job Is uh, is obviously years of corporate experience of building talent in an organization. But even more before that, fundamentally knowing that all of us can get limited by our situations, but we are not limited in our potential, we are not limited in the possibilities. And we can build ourselves, we can build our skills. we can build, you know, experiences and performances that we want to. And that's true at an individual. That's also true at a team and an organizational level. That's what I fundamentally believe in. And that's what has been driving me and my pursuit of learning excellence.
0: So did you always envision that you'll be in the space of learning, what were your early days like? I mean, when you were in school, what did you think that you wanted to do? And how did getting onto this path of learning that too, for adults in the workplace, happen?
1: Uh, Not really, Chitra. Gosh, no. (laughs) I did not have the vocabulary. I did not know uh, that there was this domain of learning and uh, talent and development and people development back then. Uh, but what I did know was that I wanted to do something with people. Uh, and I, I, of, of course, I did not know what, what it meant to be. But I always found myself working working on things that make me feel good about, develop, you know, where I'm developing skills, developing experiences. So, of course, there's no way I would have known that at school or even at college. I was studying science, wanting to be a doctor. And then I, one day I realized that I'm doing it because of all the wrong reasons, because I was surrounded by doctors (laughs) in my home and not because I truly wanted or believed in it. And so I gravitated and drifted into learning development more by accident, more by eliminating what I didn't want to do, because I did not know that such a field existed. But I think once I landed on an opportunity, I knew this was it for me.
0: So what has the journey of that discovery of this field of learning been like for
1: you? so how did i get into this so my first job was actually teaching hotel management students and i landed up teaching not the content of hotel management but this but the art of discovering who you are and where you want to go and what your goals are in the process i discovered behavioral assessments and uh, assessment centers and uh, and uh, the competency profiles and in that process I actually landed my first job in the learning domain in a uh, consultancy as a consultant and that's when I got exposed to the corporate world you know up until then I was just doing what I was doing because I'd read or chanced upon some material but then I got the formal certifications and the exposures to how does this science of developing talent and you know developing people really work and from then onward it's been just uh you know different aspects in different uh, you know situations but yeah but the stream has stayed the same Chitra.
0: <laughs> nice Shreya, nice to know <laughs> about that and when you said science of development or developing people that's interesting. Because uh, having been a people manager myself, I was often told that there is a science to it, there is an art to it, and ultimately it's understanding what people want, isn't it?
1: So true, so true.
0: So, how does that actually translate into creating good learning experiences for people? And before you can answer that question, What Mm -hmm. in your experience, what have you seen that corporates really grapple with in terms of offering a good learning environment for people where they can thrive in, they can learn, they can really develop themselves and then contribute to the organization?
1: Yeah, sure. Sure, Chitra. So I think, uh, you know, just to answer the question on art and science. So there is definitely the art, okay, uh, of how you create an experience that can engage people. There is the science, of knowing human behavior. But I think all of that is just the foundation. Ultimately, it's about the human to human connect, right? How can you really ensure that your learners, you know, recognize the value of that content to them as a human being? Because that is fundamentally. And if we can achieve that, we can traverse all kinds of challenges, which brings me to what the organizations are facing today. So today... You know, I think this is the golden age of uh, of learning. Genuinely, Chitra, I feel that there is so much happening in this space and so much of uh, accelerated exponential uh, attention and all the resources that we have are unprecedented. But let's break it down into what organizations are facing. Organizations are facing a couple of challenges. One is that The pace at which skills are becoming redundant, you know, 30% of our skills become redundant every year. And what we need sometimes is not even decided and deciphered for our employees. So how do we stay ahead of the game? That's number one. The number two thing is, which was accelerated by the pandemic, no doubt, is the time to design, you know. So if I would uh, take you back a couple of years, we would have as a learning team a couple of months to design and to, you know, socialize and to test and then to respond to any any need, you know, any need. It doesn't matter what that is. Today, that time to design has actually come down to a few weeks if I, and that is a luxury. And it was all accelerated, you know, during the pandemic, but you could see it coming even before that. And today it's really at its shortest that I've ever seen in my 2025 20, years of career so the time to design the time to you know develop a solution and the time to respond to a need from the business or from the environment has really compressed and condensed the other thing is our struggle to stay relevant to this audience who seeks instant gratification You know, so earlier, if you would remember, we would have, you know, three days leadership retreats, five day leadership retreats. And people were there, you know, fully there. Now that's just a luxury. It doesn't happen at all. So all those things we have to compress, condense and make available in a really compressed format in a challenged uh, attention challenge world. So I think those are some of the big ones for an organization. I don't think it's budget anymore. I think it's more more the time and the pace at which we need to
0: deliver. Yeah, and how things have changed. I mean, as you were talking, I was just thinking, being a coach and trainer myself now, in just two years, how things have flipped. And it's so right that you have put the spotlight on time to design as well as the attention spans. And I think as learning designers in the in the organization that I work in, um, that's a huge challenge that we face too. So I find myself empathizing with with what you've said. What do you think can be done? What what do you think is a good middle ground amidst these kind of challenges?
1: So I think, you know, there are a couple of things and I'm going to go around our earlier discussion, you know, what are the learners expecting, Chitra? And then what can we do because of the advancement that has happened in this field of learning? So let's first look at, the advances that are available today, you know. The way AI has increased the possibilities is is insane. It's insane. It was, it's incredible. Nobody could have imagined that a few years back, how we could use AI in the space of learning. It was just something that you associated with engineering and you know all the other things. Uh, but not not learning. So today we have AI-driven career platforms platforms career pathing platforms we are using ai driven nudges and all these are actually helping let's take an example at a time so career pathing is which used to take months for one individual you know like you have to understand where they are where they want to go how you can create paths for them know their competencies strengths and aspirations you can do with career pathing platforms in less than an hour and you can do it at scale that was inconceivable a few months back. It was a privilege that you extended to the precious few in your organization. Today, it is available for everybody, for the masses. The other challenge that we had as learning professionals was reducing the knowing doing gap. You know, of course, everybody knows what is the right thing to do, but how do you get them to do it? It's like everybody signs up to the gym. How do you make sure that they show up and they, you know? They actually do the workout. We are are today in a position to use AI-driven nudges at every step of the way. And we can customize how often, how uh, frequently, on what topics we want people to be nudged. So, for example, if it's about having an empathic conversation, we can... You know, deliver nudges to people in so many different ways on what is the right thing when they are anticipating a conversation, how do they prepare for it? That was inconceivable a few years back because all of that would have required human bandwidth. Today, we can do it with AI. The other thing that has happened that we can take advantage of is all the platforms that have come in. And this has nothing to do with, you know, AI, but it's just so many things have become available for scale. Because of, you know, because of them being platformized, if that's a word that I can use. So we have coaching platforms and coaching for one executive would have costed 30,000 US dollars for a year in in the good old days. Now it's available at 6,000 US dollars. If you think of an Indian equivalent, Then also this applies. Mentoring platforms, you know, access to mentors. People used to struggle to find mentors. Now you have mentoring platforms. And I'm not even talking about LXPs and LMPs. You know, all those have been around. So there are so many things that are available for scale because they are now on a platform at a fraction of the cost for one individual. You can actually make it available to, you know, hundreds. Then the other thing is also, you know, how we are evolving ourselves, Chitra. If you remember, you know, when you were leading uh, engineering, then in those days, it used to be what are the dollars that are available per person for, you know, and how can we make the best use of it? What's the ROI of learning? No, the conversation, as you know yourself, has shifted. We don't talk about the dollars. We don't talk about the hours or the ROI. We talk about the immediate impact, you know, so what's the time to productivity? What's the time to success? How can we actually help people be successful in the shortest possible time? Because- because that is the, uh, that's the nature of, you know, the beast today. Nobody has the time. So, okay, so forget about what the cause is, but there are so many advances in the field of learning today that uh, it is truly it's truly incumbent upon us to just know what's happening and make make the best possible use of all those advances.
0: Wow, that was, you know, as you were speaking, I was just trying to visualize and go back in time when I was on the other side. And we'll come to that later in terms of what learners are expecting. But as you were talking, one question that was popping up was, when we talk about uh, time to success, time to productivity, impactful learning, learning Mm -hmm. that people can take right away and apply back at work, are we talking about really just in time, just enough learning? How does this sort of play out in the long term? And where I'm coming from is traditionally learning has its own time. Mm -hmm. And all individuals sort of have their own way of assimilating learning. But today in the workplace, people work in teams Mm -hmm. and uh, sort of collaborate with each other. They feed off of each other's knowledge, capabilities, dynamic and a whole lot of things. And there again... I've personally seen as a coach that even for a team to come together, it takes time. For any, let's say, a product development team, if you had to start from the ground up, while everybody wants the product out there yesterday, a team has its own time that it takes to sort of begin to work in a particular rhythm to be able to build and create a product. And practically speaking, they're really Nobody can really put a timeline or a finger on how much has this team learned? Uh, How much has every individual learned? And why I'm saying this is it almost seems like a contrast. Have we come to the stage where we should just pick up just enough, just what we need to learn at this point in time so that we can take it back and apply it to our work? And when we look at it, let's say, at the end of of a project or a certain timeline, can we see how much of it we've actually learned, we've retained, that's going to help us? Is that even relevant
1: today? Yeah, what a beautiful question, Chitra. You know, so I would like to kind of think of it in a couple of parts. So the first part is uh, the question you, sp- you know brought about whether humans have reduced their learning appetite to just enough. Okay, just give me what I need and then just forget about everything else. So how I see that is, you know, it's about earlier, a few years, even a few years back, content was king Chitra. It was really tough to find the right content of a high quality, you know, nature that you could use. And then we actually enjoyed the process of learning, of abstracting, of researching. And that was a joy in itself. Today, because of Not because of choice, we still enjoy that process, but because of the pressures, we have actually made the choice to divide it into two. One is my work and my performance and my productivity related things. In all those aspects, you know, people do not have the luxury of time or do not have the even I would say the appetite and they have actually reduced the skills of abstracting. And you would notice it, you know, Uh, so I think so what that is translating to today is people don't want content, they don't want to go through the process of abstracting, they want to go through the process of applying learning as soon as possible, that is the first change that I'm seeing so give me everything in my context if I'm a product manager then give me everything in the context of product manager in an MNC do all the translation abstraction and give it to me and I'm okay with that I'm okay with that you know so that is definitely a change it wasn't so before however there is still the aspect of where I want to go so this is driven by the business need the other one is driven by my personal aspiration wherever there's a personal aspiration of doing something that is a few degrees removed from what you are doing currently then that uh, effort is still visible that effort of okay I'm going to invest in the time the joys the the pain of going through the learning. So that is still there, but people have actually made the choice of saving that only for things that they truly care of. It can be in the personal and professional space. Doesn't mean it always has to be only career related, but let's say if somebody likes photography, then they would take those pains for photography, but not for, let's say, technology or vice versa, it depends. So that's what I'm seeing. And then the third part of what you, you know, very rightly brought up was how do we even know what is the learning quotient of the team? You know, what have they learned? What have they retained? How is the, what is the total learning inventory of the team? Um, that's a tough one. <laughs> that's a, I don't think I've thought about that uh, in those terms at all. So. I don't yeah. need that. For
0: that, <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I think we can just leave the question there. And I think you very yeah. beautifully put it in terms of how do we assess the learning quotient and the learning inventory of the team. I think that who knows in a few weeks or months from now we may even have a second conversation
1: around it. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Okay, I to keep both of us uh, engaged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: <for> sure. <laughs> so. I think this segues into a question that you had brought up earlier in terms of what are learners expecting today from a corporate environment? Okay. I mean, we just talked about, you know, work-related learning and then my personal aspiration. What else are they expecting?
1: So Chitra, what I've noticed is, and it's not true f- only for my current or my previous organization, but whatever research I'm doing and whatever I'm hearing, that uh, employees today actually are on a fast track for career growth. They want career growth and they don't want to wait for it. The other thing that they are needing is the skills to get to their jobs. They are willing to use internal mobility. They are willing to stay within the organization as long as they are meeting the career growth. And if not, then they are not reluctant to leave organizations and go out where they will, you know, for uh, better prospects. So that is one trend that I'm seeing universally. People want to, you know, grow, they want to learn, they want to acquire skills, but they want to see immediate results of that. They don't have years to wait. The other thing that I'm seeing as employees are indicating that they want is a a turn back on work life balance. There was a time when work life balance was important, then the pandemic threw it off. And now people are actually craving it back again. So that's what they want as an employee in a corporate setup. And that's, I'm sure, you know, there's enough data and research that proves that to everybody. But what it means to us as learning professionals and what they're looking for in learning experiences is the shift from what they valued in learning experiences. So let me give a couple of examples. So earlier, if you, you know, kind of think of, of course, there was the, if it was a leadership learning program, then people like the leadership learning program. And there was this understanding that if you are at a certain level of experience, even if you get a few concepts that you can use or even if somebody challenges you to think in a different way, that was valued, you know, and people would come for that. Now, of course, all that has shifted. Uh, people value the interactions more than um, They value the content today. So the interaction with their peers, uh, the ability to know that this is a shared uh, experience and I'm not the only one going through this because the degree of social isolation that we are facing, Chitra, has actually shifted the focus. So people say, okay, learning, I can do that. Um, Doesn't matter. But I want to connect with my peers, with my community, even with experts to validate where I am humanly, you know, and to... Exchange notes with others. So that is one shift that I'm seeing. The other shift that I'm also noticing is people used to look forward to learning, you know, uh, in a way that was okay. There are a couple of days that I will invest in myself. Now that's a luxury that nobody can think of. So people are valuing the time out, but there's the paradox, you know. So I'm pressured for time. If I take time out for learning, I have to go back and work twice as much because there is something else that gets piled up. So they are trying to do the whole process of reflection, of learning, of abstraction and assimilation in a very short time, and I think that's a loss. That's a loss, you know. That is where you were saying, you know, learning is a natural process. You can expedite some things, but you cannot expedite everything. So I think learners' expectations are a little divided on that.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's so nicely put, Sreya. It's something I think for all of us to seriously consider and ponder. Also. Leading to uh, thinking how we can provide those learning experiences. Um, I know that I really looked forward to those classroom sessions, but I also understand, and it's happened uh, during the pandemic, that as a coach, people really felt constrained to even give two or three hours of a specific learning program every week and we had to compress all of it and just focus on what was absolutely necessary. So, let's say one concept every two weeks, kind of a thing. So, true. I wanted to see, yeah. I, and I wanted to see if we could explore something like hybrid learning. One thing that I realized you mentioned in the course of this conversation was the fact that learning is. So democratized right now. As an individual, I can choose my own ways to learn. And at the workplace, also, this kind of democratized hybrid learning, I think, has a place. What do you think? And when I mean hybrid, it it comes from this last point that you said, right? People want shared experiences, they want to interact and engage with experts and peers and exchange notes. Hmm. So, what if that came into a learning session? A just enough learning session. And that was sort of followed up with bits of micro learning where people are probably spending five or 10 minutes a day reflecting, uh, revising, recalling the topic that was just handled during that session. Because I'm thinking seriously that hybrid learning, this to me is some kind of hybrid learning, right? There is a mix. There is a mix of online, offline, uh, digital, in person. All these combinations. So what I'm seeing is the whole paradigm of delivering learning itself is also shifting, isn't it?
1: So true, so true. So let me give you an example, Citra. So we did, des- we if we would have designed a top talent program in the erstwhile, you know, years, it would have been at least a six months to a one year program, and it would have been all in person. And of course, there's no way you can do that uh, for for the pandemic reasons but also because people realize that there is no need to travel uh, to actually you know make the most of the opportunity so now i don't think we'll ever go back to uh, those days where everybody's traveling across the continents to be in a learning event which means that we had to experiment with hybrid and hybrid can be used loosely you know so but i like your definition it is all aspects of learning put together to create a beautiful experience so today we are designing in my organization a top talent program which is just 16 weeks but it includes elements of coaching so there is there is one-to-one coaching there is group coaching and it's all happening virtually but but it's happening then there are experiences with peers and there are experiences with leaders, so you sit in a, what we call a masterclass with our uh, leaders to talk about things that are important in the context of being as being a leader at Sprinkler, and that is an interactive session where you are connecting with leaders, connecting with your peers. But again, it's happening all virtually because even if you want to, you know, invite people. Uh, the pandemic is still there in parts you know so there is that uh, respon added responsibility of making sure everybody is safe and then the third aspect is people start seeing the economies of scale here right if we can do it if we can pull it off then why not and that I believe is a loss right there is nothing that can completely replace in-person learning however I don't I don't know you know if we can promise return to normal in that sense, like where people are traveling for learning events across continents anytime soon. I don't see that happening immediately. But I do hope it comes back.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I also think that maybe it's the time for uh, learning as a whole paradigm itself to shift. So yeah, I think until then, experiments with learning will be the order of the day and challenges for people like ourselves. For sure. (laughs) You know, we talked about learners' expectations and what's happening in the world today. You also mentioned a bit about learning advancements through technology. And here I wanted to ask you, because very often when I look, I don't find or perhaps I'm not looking in the right place, is there's very little... That's talked about or published in the world of adult learning. Mm -hmm. Some there is some material available. There are uh, some um, models, not like the Bloom's taxonomy, which was predominantly for uh, children at school, through you know kindergarten through class twelve. However, the Bloom's taxonomy is still used as a means of evaluating where people are and so on. So what have you seen as, you know, significant shifts or techniques or methodologies that have come up in the space of learning for adults and particularly people at the workplace?
1: So how I see this is, is like a, it's like a, you know, pyramid or a stack that builds on each other, you know, so the principles of adult learning or the, t- you know, Bloom's taxonomy as you refer to, or how you evaluate learning, uh, Kirkpatrick, and all those things were the foundational text of learning. And they were created sometime, you know, eons back. And we've actually, all of us have learned and dabbled through them and, you know, figured how to use them in our own ways. And then I believe that there was, a time when they kind of stopped, I wouldn't say stopped being relevant, but actually failed to give learning the edge that it needs. Because if you see, you know, learning was always in hindsight, you know, it was always trailing. Okay, that's the better word. It was always trailing. So something happens in the industry, and then you, you know, create learning mechanics for that. Something happens. So academia and learning were always behind the industry. Same way, if you think of designing, right, something has already happened and tested and proven. Somebody has created a leadership framework or a or a success framework somewhere. And then you're creating the framework, learning, uh, you know, uh, tools for that or learning experiences for that. So it was always trailing. And then at some point in time, people realized that that's good, but it's not giving us the edge that we need. And then the game shifted Chitra. So in my opinion, today, we are following uh, that whole thought of learning in the flow of work, which is also not new, new to say. It was at least about a decade old, but that is what we are using. So it's like, you know, the taxonomy is still the base but we have moved on and we have put, put an added layer okay that's how we construct our learning that still stays true nothing is going to take that away but how we apply learning is we are using the uh, concepts of flow of work which was josh Burson and his family you know kind of uh, his team and then again how do you make it available in a way that's there's no no written body of work i would agree with you chitra there is no written body of work because uh, today whatever we are doing it will get created as a written body of work, maybe a few years from now, as you always know, right, the theory follows practice in our world. So it it's not really there.
0: <laughs> so that's, that's nice. And, and for me, it's okay, either way, as long as there's a cycle, wherever that cycle starts from, if yeah. it can sort of feed back into the system to perhaps design and develop better learning solutions, why not?
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 Maybe, yeah, maybe it's podcasts and, uh, you know, we'll have some cutting edge there. Who knows? <laughs> absolutely.
0: Yes. And I hope there are uh, people listening and thinking. And if, you know, people want to contribute more than happy to have them here. Oh,
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. May the tribe grow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's interesting because uh, even today, I remember I was speaking to another guest and I remember telling him that the first time i heard about a discipline like instructional design mm. was probably just 10 years ago although it has existed for some time before that yeah and even today what i find is very few people actually know about it and even fewer understand it and mm. it's it's a very small tribe of people right so i think if more people can come into the space of learning either as thinkers like yourself shreya mm. and Uh, people who can design great learning experiences, Mm -hmm. I think the world will be a better place for it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, it has its own little fan club, like people like you and I, we were both not learning professionals, but we had this passion for learning for ourselves, for others for sharing, for discovering, for researching. And those are all the ingredients that make, you know, this field. And and the practitioners there actually, you know, connect with each other because we are all thinking on the same line. So I'm sure, you know, we will have our own little tribe and I'm sure people will gravitate to it like you and I did, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I
0: sincerely hope so. You know, what I wanted to ask you was learning enablers. People like you are people that enable uh, the business and the organization to think about learning, to find out which areas to focus on, and to address the challenges and learning needs of the organization. What are some of your thoughts on what learning enablers should do, could do, and strive for nurturing a learning environment?
1: You know, it's like your response will depend on the situation and the evolution of the organization. So if the organization is willing and has the appetite and recognizes the need for learning, you're in heaven. You know, then you can have a equal to equal conversation and say, hey, this is what we can do. And, you know, they'll be open to it. And then you can do all the great, great things that you think are possible but that's like a dream state right it never happens or it happens but very rarely or in pockets or in situations what usually happens is that you will meet a business uh, leader or you will meet a business or uh, meet an organization you'll be partnering with an organization who say they have a need but uh, they may not recognize what the real need is you know and then you need to navigate the waters and help them get from where they are to where they need to be in a in a way where in a way that they don't feel threatened and they don't actually um, feel questioned because sometimes leaders like you know to be challenged and organizations like to be challenged but more 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 often than not you have to meet them where they are you know so build credibility by giving them what they need first and then say hey this is what we are doing now, but this, this is also possible. And that's how you lead them from point A to point B, which is more, more likely and more natural. And I think more possible in our experiences that, uh, you know, you, you give them what they need for now and then show them the possibilities and, you know, help the journey from A to B. And then there would be organizations also where It may not happen and they would be in a very operational tactical space and they say, "Okay, just give me this and you have to just deliver, do that also. So I think it's uh, I heard somebody say that if your plate is uh, 60 percent of the second category where you are delivering what the leaders want, but you are nudging them or gently, you know, coaching them to go to a higher place. That's a great place. 20% of your clients will be in that place where, or your business or your organizations will be in that space where they are truly willing and open to doing things that mean the most to them and their organization. And that's 20%. And the other 20% reconcile with them. There will be people who don't care or who don't appreciate and or who think this is just a, you know, some tactical check in the box activity, which is our reality. <laughs> just deal with it.
0: <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good, that's a good checkpoint uh, for all of us in this space. Are there any experiences or stories that you can share of perhaps what worked for you yeah. and what didn't work? You know, you you probably gave, you shared a few tips right now. But do you have any experiences from, of and, and could you share them of, let's say, for example, taking leaders from place A to place B, showing mm. them the possibilities and actually being there with them on their journey? And, uh, you know, what were some of those aha moments that both of you discovered along the way?
1: Yeah, sure. I can take an example from our uh, our NetApp days, you know, because this is something that both of us were part of in some ways. You know, when we were designing a manager development program, and this is like 10, 12 years back, the common belief was that you go to a business school and they will solve the problem. You know, you send people through an executive MBA and it will solve all the problem. Uh, That was a common belief by the business leaders. And I can see why they said that, you know, one is because it's easier to get people to sign up for an executive MBA. There is that branding and there is the investment that people see. So they genuinely feel good about it. Definitely. But will that solve the problem? Of course not. You know, because it is, uh, as we spoke about, academia is a little behind the industry today. So whatever, however beautiful um, the MBA would, uh, you know, con- construct would be, it would not probably meet the organization's need. Not not then, not today. So then what we actually did was created a program, which was like a bouquet of different things that solved our problem and tested it a little and, you know, allowed people to ex- you know, experiment and experience that. And then they realized that, okay, this... Uh, desire of having an executive MBA is good but it's probably not gonna give you what you need Um, what you need to do is something else so it took a little bit of humoring them indulging them giving them the research uh, based feedback and but also having conversations with with uh, professors at the colleges and saying you know and having them say hey this is a problem that we cannot solve so actually you know I genuinely did that I I uh, remember going to the IMB and meeting Vasanthi and uh, having conversations with her along with the then leader. And she expressing that, you know, this is not something that we would recommend that we are the best solution for. So <laughs> it was, I don't know if this is too specific and you can kind of correct me on that. So, but that was that. And then there is also uh, the stories that don't work. Sometimes we bring in a solution that maybe is too early for the organization and people are not ready for it. And a lot of us have had experiences in design thinking for that, you know, design thinking has been around for almost two decades now, but it depends on the organization's readiness and the, you know, context in which we apply. Some people just take to it and they make advances and they actually benefit from it, not only at the product level, but also at the design level, at the team thinking and innovation level. But not everybody has been able to take advantage because the timing has to work, the context has to work, the need has to work. So I think that is my learning, you know, that if things work, we cannot take absolute credit for it. Sometimes it's timing. (laughs) And if they don't work, we shouldn't take all the blame also because there is so much into play however we can what we can take the credit for and what we can take the ownership for is to um, you know is to remove that personal bias of this is the right way of doing things and meeting the business you know with wherever they are and finding the solution that they would appreciate um, at the at the point at which they are.
0: I think beautifully articulated it (laughs) was this is a space like we've said right This I think it's like what you said earlier in the conversation, it's a golden era. And I think we're just beginning to see the beginnings of something that's that's yet to emerge and yet to be discovered. I I, I like the way you put these pieces together. They are nebulous. They <laughs> are, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. I think it it just came together very well. So thank you so much for that. We usually ask our guests to leave a message. And in this case, I'm looking at people who want to either switch a role, look at a career in something like learning development. Mm
1: -hmm. What
0: would you have to share with people who have an aspiration to come to this world?
1: Uh, Firstly, of course, welcome. (laughs) Of course, uh, a very warm welcome to anybody who's thinking of a career in learning. It is going to be a really rewarding and fulfilling career in more ways than you can imagine. One is because you will help somebody else be a better version of themselves, and more importantly, what you would become as a consequence of that. Every time you you know you know what you need to what you teach best is what you need to learn best. So I think that is definitely definitely the fundamental experience and a very warm welcome to anybody who's considering learning and talent as an area of uh, as a career you know option the uh, advice that I would like to give is okay find your passion and if you're genuinely passionate about it then keep your passion alive you know just because that is the only thing that will you know give you the energy to go around and research more to go around and coach more consult more learn more and you know just be a true learning learning professional and 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 that requires a lot of energy a lot of effort and it cannot come if you're not truly truly passionate and you're not truly truly caring about what you do and what impact you can bring so if you if you feel that you pass the passion test okay welcome (laughs) welcome to the world of learning professionals
0: i think nice and simple messages and very inspiring as well shreya i enjoyed this conversation and as always with you there's there's a lot of takeaway personally and I hope our listeners also have a lot of takeaways
1: from this conversation thank you so much no it's my opportunity to thank you Chitra for this uh, for the privilege of having this conversation and I hope uh, somebody somewhere finds this valuable thank you so much for the for your time and for the opportunity
0: On The Edge podcast, we always share a message for career aspirants related to the topic of our conversation. We understand that many around the world are in a space where they may be looking for opportunities. So if you find something in our episodes that interests you or anyone you know who is in need and is looking out for an opportunity related to our episode topic, please reach out to us and we'll help you in any way we can. Subscribe to the Edge Podcast on your favorite podcast channel. We are on Google, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and more. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. If you have stories to share and want to be featured on our podcast, write to us at podcasts at adepticlabs.com.